Welcome to the 15th episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we talk about murders that intrigue us. I'm Mercedes. And I am Cindy. In this week's episode, a possessed teen kills his parents with a sledgehammer, slashes his three siblings with a hatchet and a butcher knife, leads the police on a slow chase through the suburb of Huntsville, Alabama. Thank you for listening to last week's episode where the shooting death of a 16-year-old in a nightclub by a famous rapper results in a discussion of guilt or innocence. Fair warning, our podcast can be extremely horrifying and graphic, and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, be forewarned, we are passionate and always have been about true crime, but sometimes we're going to make jokes and laugh during our podcast. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, please visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform, and please give us a five-star rating. While you are there, leave us a comment telling us which murder intrigues you. And if you like our show, please consider supporting us through patreon.com forward slash pod. We appreciate our Patreon supporters more than words can express. Thank you so much. So, hey, Cindy, how's it going? It's going really well. How are you? Great. How was your week? It was good. Yeah. I watched a new series this week. We talked about Don't Fuck With Cats last week. Okay. This week I watched, okay, on Netflix I watched the series Dirty John. Okay. Well, I started it anyway. Well, it's a podcast also. And I just have never, I've known about it, I just have never listened to it. So I watched a couple of episodes of Dirty John. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back and I'm going to listen to the podcast. So I listened to the entire podcast. Of Dirty John, and okay. I recommend that you do that because is it fiction or nonfiction? No, it's nonfiction. Okay, and it's seriously seriously messed up. Okay, the, I'm looking forward to it, dear John. Dirty, Dirty John. John. Dirty John. Dirty John. Yes, and I also listened to Blood Ties, which is a dramatization. I guess you would say, like it's it's um it's not just telling a story. It's like they're acting it out. Like there are characters. Okay, and from what I can understand, I. I googled a little bit of it, but I think that it's nonfiction also. But I didn't look too much into that. But that one was another good one. Okay, well, thanks. Have you listened to anything? Um, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Noble Blood does have a new one. Oh no, okay. It? So I'll definitely listen to that because I do like that one. So yes, yeah. Yes. Anything else this week? Nope, that's it. Just uh, you know, going through the motions. Yes, yes. Hey. I went back to work after my nose. Okay, how'd that go? It was very well received. Better than. You know, I got a lot of compliments, even though I think that I look like Groucho Marx. Um, you do not look like Groucho Marx. <laughs> though I am going to get you the nose with the eyebrow glasses. I'm going to do that. But I have the eyebrows already. Okay. Well, they're not that bad. <laughs> All right. So what do you have for us today? So today, Cindy, our story takes place in Huntsville, Alabama. It occurred on March 10th, 1998. And it was at 13005 Camelot Drive. Now, Huntsville is known as Rocket City. It's the home of the U.S. Space and Rocket Center, NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center, and the United States Army Aviation and Missile Command. So, it's a southern, small southern town, but it's got a global community because people from all over live there. Yes. It's also, um, my son went to space camp there. Yeah. 
Mine didn't. We couldn't afford it. <laughs> well, it was a field trip through their school. Oh, okay. Well, that's it, nice. That's yes. nice. So, yeah. So the family that we're going to talk about, they're originally from New York, and they made their way to Huntsville for the dad's job. I never quite figured out what the ja- what the dad's job was. His name was Jerry Franklin. His wife, Cindy, was a nurse. So they were, you know, they had a pretty decent living. They had five children. They had three boys. Um, they had two daughters. They were devout Catholics. And they were just seen as very nice people all the way around. They attended church. They were active in church. They were involved in the lives of their children. They had a 17-year-old named Jeff. So when the story starts, Jeff is 17. They have Sarah, who was 14. Um, Stacy, who was 11. Tim, who was 8. And then Chris, who was 6. Okay. Now, isn't there a college there also? There is, but don't ask me about it because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I just said that just popped in my mind. I think yeah. there's a, it's a big college town, too. I'm not super sure about that, um, but... I know that the mom, she was a nurse. I, I mean, it's a pretty, pretty decent little city, you know, so there's a lot of things there. I'm not sure what college is there. So um, it's not too far from Birmingham. I did see something about the UAB um, in Birmingham, University of Alabama in Birmingham, yes. but no, I don't know about Huntsville. Okay. Yes. I know it is in North Alabama. Yes. Because. Um, Northeastern Alabama. It's, it snows there. I know that sometimes. Oh. <laughs> it does snow there because I remember it wasn't when my kid went to space camp, but there was, at the same school when he was a little younger, some kids got, they got stuck there because of the snow. Oh, well. And have they ever seen snow before? No, no. There is a college there, but it is a satellite for the University of Alabama. That's what I thought, yes. I wasn't 100% certain. Now, Cindy, as I said, was a nurse. She worked at a nursing home. And like I said, I don't know what he did, but his coworkers spoke highly of him when they interviewed his coworkers. Now, their oldest child, Jeff, had been giving them some trouble. So they were very concerned about his behavior. They would go to church, and one lady who knew the Franklins through the church said that she remembers seeing Jeff at church in early March, just before um, the murder occurred. The murders occurred. And she said that Jeff had just a blank distant stare that really gave her the creeps and she was a nurse and she wondered then if he was psychotic or even high and most likely he was probably a bit of both because he did abuse drugs regularly he readily admits that he did marijuana and stuff like that he said i did marijuana and stuff like that he abused his ritalin and we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes but also other drugs like acid cocaine and pretty much whatever he could get his hands on. So abusing your Ritalin. Now, if you truly need it, then abusing it would make you kind of... um, It would make you go into psychosis is what I'm guessing. Yes, because it wouldn't necessarily be like a rush. Right. Because it would be doing the opposite of what, say, if I took a Ritalin, I would be bouncing off the walls. So if you did your, if you abused your Ritalin, it would just make you hyper-focused maybe and psychotic, really lethargic is what comes to mind for me well if you're doing it with cocaine it would probably have yeah like a speedball effect (laughs) (laughs) okay well everyone who knew him knew that he was troubled he's um jeff is described as being just an angsty teen like people just thought you know this kid he's wearing all black he listens like diehard horror metal rock 
He speaks out against authority. Like anytime an authority figure says something, he's just like, you know, spewing his venom. ODD. Definitely. Oppositional defiance disorder. Yes. Um, now, in middle school, he was a decent student. He was in band. He played the trumpet. He was a decent student until probably about seventh or eighth grade. So all through elementary, the first couple years of middle school. And then right around puberty is when he says things started to change for him. Sounds like it. I mean, what happened or did when the hormones kicked in. Right. Something in his brain just didn't. Could be. And then the drugs don't help, right? No, not at all. Well, anyway, his parents knew there was something wrong. So they started taking him to a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist said, okay, he's ADD and he has depression. So he was prescribed a combination of Ritalin, Prozac, and Clonopin. And Clonopin is what? Anti-anxiety? Uh, yeah, is it like a, a Xanax? Yes. Okay. It has a different effect than a Xanax. But yes, it's a, it's a benzo. And supposedly when mixed with marijuana, it will send you into a... Into psychosis. Into psychosis. Okay. Well, that's interesting. All right. So he um, had been, like I said, he was a troubled teenager with some rather deep-rooted psychological problems, uh, many of which the psychiatrist said could have been inherit, um, could have been hereditary. Now, many, many years later, after after he's already in prison and whatnot, because he's our murderer, guys, um, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. So if you read my blog. You'll, um, yes. I did write a little, just a very tiny tinge of, about schizophrenia, but yes. um, one person said that she had heard that some pr- time prior to the murders that the parents had gone to the court, petitioned the judge to please put him in inpatient treatment and that, that he was denied. But I, I'm not sure that that's like a very accurate source. I mean, couldn't parents do that without a judge's order? Um, no, not, well, not where where we are oh okay so they would have to be like baker acted or something that's what it is in the state of florida okay so um i like a law enforcement or uh, a metal um, uh, a metal head yeah a uh, mental health or some sort of like doctor so let's say i took my son to the emergency room and he's spouting off all this crazy stuff and he says he's gonna hurt himself or someone else then and they see it then they can call the police and the police will then come and but will be as back. a parent couldn't i i can't take my child to some sort of inpatient treatment center um and i guess it I depends mean, on the, what kind of money that you have what kind of insurance and whatnot too yes if you wanted to baker act someone for instance and i'm sure every state has something along the same lines but um and this was 1998 Mind Which you. they had, they had that okay. thing, I believe. Like okay. here, where we live, they did. Okay. Anyway, okay. Um, let's say my daughter or my son came home and they were acting crazy. And they were just like out of their mind. And they were hitting or screaming or they were spouting off crazy stuff or said, I would just kill myself. If I called the police and said my daughter just threatened or my son just threatened to kill themselves. And the police came and they talked to them and they said the same thing to them. Then the police could have them Baker acted. Okay. I personally cannot have them Baker acted unless I went to a judge, had set out all this, you know, stuff. Okay. And then a judge could do it. But I couldn't. I see. Unless I I went to a, because when that happens, they send them to a place where there's usually um, mental health facilities in your area where they have places to send right. kids who are Baker Active yes. or whatever, whatever state or city you're in. 
Unless you are privately paying for mental health okay. rehabilitation. Yes. Or so maybe they just didn't. I mean, they weren't well-off people. I mean, they had a decent house and a nice little middle-class suburban neighborhood. But um, according to this person, the judge denied that. And that was not too far before the murders. Damn. So I hope that judge has trouble sleeping at night. Ugh. I mean, we say that secondhand, but like, what if the per- the stuff presented to him wasn't solid enough? Or, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure he felt like shit. Oh, uh, right, yeah. Even if the stuff came to me and I was like, this isn't enough per the law for me to say, yes, you can do this. And then that happens, I would feel terrible. Yes, because I don't, you know, you can't get a hold of juvenile records beforehand, but I didn't find anything to where anything that stated that he had been arrested previously or now I did see that he had been suspended a time or two and ISS at school, things like that. But, um, you know, his friends knew that he had a problem. They also knew that he was into the dark arts. Now, the dark arts. Now, the dark arts arts that we're talking is not the Harry Potter dark arts. By the way, I was accused of being an expert in the dark arts because I know Greek and Roman mythology. (laughs) Okay, I was. (laughs) However, this is not the dark arts we're talking about. Not that Percy Jackson shit. (laughs) We're actually talking about uh, Satanism here. And a lot of it, he actually expressed an interest in Satanism and the occult and all of his friends knew it. I mean, you know, they're still friends with him. Okay. So they weren't into it too. Well, I don't know. You know what, what do they call that? Misery loves a crowd or what? Who knows? Yeah. That too. So they also said that he was doing cocaine. Did they tell the judge he was into the dark arts? I, that, like I said, that information was, like, from a Reddit page or anything. So, I don't really give it a whole... It might have come out I don't, after. like, say that's a valid source. But it was just something that somebody said. And if it's true that they did petition the judge... Um, this Reddit source that I looked up was very interesting. Because I'm pretty sure that the siblings that were involved in this were actually taking part in the conversation. But we'll get oh, into that. Yes. Okay. So, um, so he's in the dark arts. His friends knew it. He listened to a lot of that screamo horror metal music. Uh, like Mudvayne? Um, have you ever he, heard that? I, if Mudvayne has a record contract, I could have a record contract. Well, please don't. No, please don't do that. This is terrible. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> He said that he was listening to a lot of, um, it's called Deicide, which I looked it up, which means death of God. Oh my God. And then, um, Chiron and I looked, looked them up. I didn't listen to any of the music because uh, <laughs> one thing that, like I told you about that, um, he was getting into prior to his parents' death was the Satanism. And according to his friends, he had been attempting to summon demons and use magic to improve his life. He um, he became very successful at whatever it was that he summoned, and it took hold of him, is what they're thinking, and it wouldn't let him go. That's sad. Now, he, Jeffrey claims that he couldn't remember what happened that horrible night. That's the devil. And there are people who actually believe him. Now, when he was arrested, he says, um, he said that his, his body had been taken over 
by demons and he actually said he actually told police that an evil being with horns sticking out of his head and eyes took over his body but i want to get into the murder okay before we go back and this is kind That's of a really little bit sad. jumbled it is now one of his friends um witnessed that a couple nights before the murder that jeffrey was doing jeff was doing ritalin xanax cocaine and clonopin and according to the source, most of the people there were tripping on a lot of acid well, that, that night. definitely caused psychosis. Yes. What little bit of research we have done, that would do it. Definitely. And then when he passed out on the couch, the source that wrote this said that he actually wrote on Jeffrey's forehead, I eat dick. Ay, ay, ay. That sounds um, like something with a, a sharpie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this kid said that he was messing with the dark arts, and I really believe it was just all the drugs he was snorting. So he just uh, snorting, sorry. So he was just mentally jacked up. So he was snorting the Ritalin, not just yes. taking it for what he needed. Yes. He was snorting it, and that apparently does something completely different and goes straight to the brain and straight to your blood vessels and your nose, okay. and not because usually Ritalin nowadays I think is like time released, so it it's not just straight shot to the interesting interesting now another source um said that franklin did a lot of drugs at school and he would keep them in his locker so the murder happened like i said march 10th 1998 it's a cool spring evening and cindy franklin took her normal walk she was out walking and jeffrey when she came home jeff called her in her room he had his music blaring and he's like mom come here and when she hear him yeah i don't know but when she came in he bludgeoned her to death with a with a sledgehammer so when the police came in later that evening so they that's found premeditated yes Ooh. all right well yeah i guess i mean definitely I would... yeah so when she came in she called he called her into the room and bludgeoned her to death with a sledgehammer in his bedroom now i did see where it was a blunt end of an axe or a hatchet i'm not 100 percent certain but pictures of the crime scene show a sledgehammer there oh my word did you look at the crime scene pictures like i did just the like ones details? that they had just the ones that they had on um like in a media you know like a newspaper article i'm such something. a freak i would totally look at every single yeah one they didn't have any like police crime scene photos but just the ones that were released to the to the i would public. go to an autopsy okay no i wouldn't oh, yeah. just the smells alone well, would make me gag oh uh, well we have uh, I have a crematorium in my family, so uh, a crematory, so I threaten people with that all the time. We oh. have lots of family members who own uh, funeral homes. Well, that's good. FYI. I want to be cremated. <laughs> I want to be cremated when I die. Okay, family? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, he, um, he, now no one knows why he attacked his mom. No one knows, because he, he, he loved his siblings. Like he would tell his family all the time, you know, yeah, I love my siblings. I have the coolest siblings, but hmm. he, and he never said any particular reason why he was angry at his parents. He just was. That's so scary. he bludgeoned his mom. She died in his bedroom. That's where her body was found. Oh my word. His little sister, Sarah was also home and he, took an axe or some sort of blunt force object and um, hit her in the head with it numerous times. He also did the same with his little brothers, Tim and Chris, who were six and nine. 
his other sister was at dance class, so she wasn't home. When his father came home, Jeffrey was waiting by the door behind a hutch and also ended up hitting him with the sledgehammer and his father died at the scene um, from blunt force trauma. Good grief. How tragic. Now, at this point, a neighborhood kid is coming over and she's coming over to, to hang out and play and she sees Jeffrey coming out of the house all bloody. Another neighbor happens to see another kid, one of the children had crawled out the back door They'd seen the the kid in the backyard all bloody, and um, so nine one was ca- was called in two instances. Well, thank God for nosy neighbors. That's right. Well, I mean, good Lord, can you imagine seeing that scene? No, not at all. Now, um, somebody said that he was heading to the dance studio to go get his other sister. Like that? Yeah. But who knows? But what he did was he led the police. The police had been called. He gets in his car and he's driving through Huntsville. He and 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 they now I did I've read numerous articles on this and it was all a high speed chase. But in reality, it was a low speed car chase. Okay. He was um, going over, uh, running through yards. He was going over you know curbs and things like that. It, it was about twenty five minutes. It was all over the TV. I mean, oh, they were I interrupting local news, interrupting primetime TV, and people were shocked. And one of his friends was like, oh, my God, that's Jeff. And at that point, people are like, what the hell is going on? It ends when he ends up wrecking into a fence. And I think it's a dead-end road or a cul-de-sac mm-hmm. or something. Right. Now, another lady says that she was in her house and um, she says that he was on his way to the dance class to go get the other sister. He, this person clearly remembers locking all four of her children in the house, not allowing them to go outside because the car chase went through her neighborhood. And she said it was quite terrifying. That would be absolutely terrifying. Right? Uh, and a lot of his friends said, you know, they just had, they had no idea why he snapped like that. I mean, they, yeah, and they knew that he was doing drugs and whatnot, but um, he just totally snapped. That's so so they, it was just shocking to everyone. While I would be terrified, I would probably be right on my front porch like, what's going on? Yes, right? <laughs> so, well, when they got him out, when once they stopped the car and got him out of the car, he was yelling and cussing and saying things like, you know, I'm... Um, Beelzebub. He was like saying, you know, it's um, um, Satan. Oh. Whatever. He's spouting out these things. He was cussing at the, um, the journalists and photographers. He spit on one of them. It, it, he was shirtless and bloody, and he had carved in his chest. He had a pentagram. Um, he had an upside down cross and a pitchfork. Carved into his own carved chest? into his own chest. Holy crap. Now, I just want you to remember this because I want to talk about this when I start talking about his little brother later on. Okay. Okay. So he's arrested and three nights later, he's on the news again. He is quite penitent this time. He was remorseful, almost teary. He was not the same boy who had mocked his parents as they lay drowning in the blood um, or had brutally attempted to kill his children or his, um, not his children, sorry, his, his siblings. Um, but he had had a few days to kind of like wake up from the psychosis he was in, right? The drugs wore off. Right. And he was actually saved twice while he was awaiting arraignment and all that. Like he was, he found Jesus in jail. 
In two days? In three days, yes. Yes. Now, he had... It could happen. I'm not saying it had, you know, but... Mm-hmm. Whatever. Anyway, mm-hmm. he... um He... When he was 23, now remember he's 17 at the time. I did watch an interview when he was 23, and he said that his favorite Bible quote is Romans. He was talking about being saved twice in jail. He is still quite, he's still a Christian. We'll talk about that later. But he said that his favorite Bible quote is Romans 8, 1, and I looked it up. And it said, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he believes that all the sins that he has committed are wiped clean. Not in the eyes of the law. Right. When he was picked up, he was, I mean, his eyes were huge. He looked, I mean, he looked demonic when they picked him up. There are pictures. So he's in jail. Police go into the house and they discovered a notebook hidden inside of his speaker. Uh And this revealed that it was not only the devil, um who made him do it not exactly anyway because it contained many scenarios involving um strange satanic rituals sexual tortures and it revealed that he had been planning the murders of his parents Mm. and later his whole family for months wow so this is not something that was like spur of the moment snap like his friends thought do you think maybe he was just pissed off at his parents and this was a setup that's very interesting that you said no, I don't know if set up. What do you like, mean? Think the police said, set it I'm, up? No, 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 no. Like that he was smart enough to say, well, this is what I'm going to say it is. I'm going to say that it was demon. Like it was a big ploy and he was just, I'm going to pretend like I'm just fucking batshit crazy and I worship the devil and I am a, you know, sick. I'm going to say that the demons did it. Uh, and really he just was wanting to kill his family. Well, it's interesting because the defense is going to say that later. And we're going to talk about that. No, he's not going to say what you said, but he is mm-hmm. going to say something about the Satanism. Okay. Um, later in his defense. So, um, apparently he had been fascinated with the cult for some time. One of the investigating officers described the information in the book as very violent with overtones of a sexual nature throughout the material. There are religious themes, sort of anti-God kind of themes that run through it. Yet, it was what he wrote about his family that was most chilling. There's meticulous planning about how he's going to kill his parents, even tactically. So, for example, he writes, I know Dad will be home at this time, and I'm going to be, I'll wait by the front door behind the little hutch, and I'll hit him with a hammer. Mom will be out on a walk. When she comes back, I'll have the radio playing loudly. I'll call Mom in the room and ask her what's on the agenda for today. And apparently, that's what he told police happened says then i'll kill her and what about the brothers and sisters well i'll take them i'll strangle my little brother in in this room and then i'll lure my other little brother into the room by telling him i want to tell him a secret and strangle him then my sister i'll rape her and then i will finish her off now he did not rape his sister and he did not finish them off but he did traumatize them for life oh you think Uh uh-huh yeah Wow. So the question is, what led this normal young man to commit such a heinous crime? And I use the word heinous. <laughs> I know you love you that know word. I love that word. Yes. Because it rhymes with anus. <laughs> now, I, while you were describing everything, I did go ahead and I Google imaged some pictures of this yes. little guy. So some of the pictures that I pulled up, 
his wounds, I would say to his chest and abdomen They're just area, scratched in there. They seem very superficial. Yeah. Like, it was an afterthought. Like, those aren't, I don't know. They're just So like, you're thinking that this is all a hoax. Just and a bunch he's of not... bullshit. And he's saying that this is why I did it. And he was really just fucked up and wanted to kill his parents. He was pissed off at him. Spoiled brat so, to his parents. So the writings that he had for months and months, you think, is just like a ploy. He was just a dramatic kid writing some bullshit down. Okay. So let me just say that he sat in jail for a while. And finally, um, on t- in 2001, three years after the murder, this was the deadline. Like, because, you know, you know, the courts kind of like have to make sure that he's mentally competent enough to stand trial, blah, blah, blah. Well, he decides at the very last minute, he's just going to plead guilty. He pleads guilty. Oh, wow. That's... Uh-huh. Wow. So, so he pleads guilty and it, it's kind of like a deal that he made. He was under the impression that if he pled guilty, then he could be out in within 12 years because the state of Alabama allows for parole after 15 years if you're a minor. So he, he was told that since he had already served three years of the, of the sentence, right. that in 12 years he would be eligible parole for okay. parole. So this is this is kind of where I got a lot of the information because in 12 years he he petitions the court for parole. And this is where all of the a lot more information comes out. So he writes a letter to the judges begging them to give him credit towards his sentence for 3 years he spent in custody prior to his sentence. In in his letter he describes some issues. He had some problems in in prison. So he got moved to a a minimum, minimum security prison where he has stayed basically in the mental health unit for most of his stay. Okay. He, ha- he has been written up for fighting inmates, one of which, one of those fights um, was with a much larger inmate that left him badly injured, left Franklin badly injured. Right. Wait, or did it leave the larger inmate badly injured? I'm kind of confused by that. I don't know. I'm curious. Um, he goes on to say that he tried to cut his wrists a few times. He also did a few, like, dives onto the concrete, landing on his head. Holy shit. So he was doing anything he could to try to get out of where he was or to... I don't I don't know what his reason was. I mean, was. he's so strung out on drugs. He was writing this bullshit. I'm going to do this. My parents don't understand He's mentally me. ill. Yeah, and he's mentally ill. Yeah. So all of this with the drugs, with the just everything and he's writing all this bullshit and then finally he goes to jail where he's probably not, he's not getting his drugs he might get something that you know legitimately is issued to him on a regulatory basis where he can't abuse it so he might be in his right mind and he's, and he's thought what the hell have I done so I'm gonna you know Peter Pan off this top floor here I don't know Peter Pan yeah, you know. Yeah. So well anyway, as it turns out the parole board didn't buy it. Yeah, they didn't because know. they went back and they looked at the case and um they didn't buy it. When Franklin was went in this letter, he willingly pleaded guilty. He says that he willingly pleaded guilty, but it wasn't really his fault because of the drugs that he was because of the prescription drugs that he was on. Um if he was taking them and not ab- taking yeah, them it like left the larger been. inmate badly injured. So he oh. went batshit crazy on a larger inmate. He tells the judge, "I'm not really a bad man. I didn't mean to do what I did. It just happened." 
I have a hard time. Whatever. And at one point in his, when he was first arrested, he told the police, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was the devil. The devil made me do it. Hmm. Now, his friends, and according to the defense, his friends and parents had missed the warning signs. No one knew it at the time. But Franklin had been awake for 72 hours prior to the murder. So 72 hours, what, that's three days? Mm -hmm. 72 hours and no sleep, plus all of the drugs, plus the, you know, that will, oh, that's a scary combination. So he had been abusing the Ritalin, and his lawyers contested that it was a drug abuse which pushed him to the total psychosis. According to them, he had no idea what he was doing, but in the end, they did not buy the insanity plea. So he, um, so that was when I told you that he went ahead and pled guilty. Now the DA at the time, the assistant DA back then, who was the current DA when he asked for parole said, Mm -hmm. when you look at the nature of the crime, him killing his parents and the way he killed them. And on top of that, an individual who tried to kill his three siblings, including a six year old with a butcher knife, this guy will always be inherently dangerous. Yes. And the guy said, you know, I feel confident that the, that no parole board will ever let him see the light of day. He's just not one of the guys who would end up killing somebody because of the heat of the moment. This was a meticulously planned event. And just by the grace of God, according to the the DA, um, his brothers and sisters survived. Yes, thank God. But they're severely screwed for the, I mean. Well, and we're I'm not going to talk about this. I'm going to say they probably have some emotional issues yes. because of it. I mean, I would. I mean, I'm going to not... talk about them in just a minute okay. because they're still around and they are active. Like, they're still alive just like us and living yeah. their lives just like we are. Oh, thank God. Uh, now, it was, now, this Broussard said it was a miracle that they weren't killed. Um, you think about the oldest, you're the oldest in the family. You're capable of viciously attacking your six-year-old brother, almost killing him. And this DA says that's unfathomable. And as far as his spiritual well-being, he, you know, whatever, whatever. If he is a born-again Christian, that, like you said, it does not negate the fact that he killed his family. Correct. Good for you. Your yes. salvation is there. You're saved in the end. That's right. But you still got to save You're your not time getting out, there. right? Okay. Another, um, well, in his, in his defense, somebody said, well, look what he did to his parents. He could have easily killed his three siblings, but he didn't. He held back. He didn't use his full force, and he didn't do anything to the puppy who was in the who was locked up in the cage. Okay, this is all correct, true. He couldn't have, but he still injured them. Why? Well, he didn't have to. Okay, so I want my parents dead, but you don't have to hurt your your siblings who clearly can't protect themselves a whole lot when they're children. I mean, they're small children. Right. I'm glad you didn't hurt the puppy too, but well, damn it, man, you killed your fucking parents. Right. Well, it comes out later in court that um, he had been up three days before the murder and Ritalin abuse. So that was a big thing in Huntsville, Alabama, Alabama at the time. Um, well, he was. Town. They do that there. Yeah. So the defense said, you know, uh, he was diagnosed with ADD, but his dosages were being increased. And he had told the psychiatrist a number of times, look, this is not working, but the dosages were still increased. Now, what Franklin told um, had told police was that his mom ended up taking the Ritalin. She knew there was something going on and she started locking it up in a safe in a, like a, a lock box. Uh-huh. So what Franklin did, what Jeffrey did was he went in and took the hinges out of the lock box and he would take the pills out and stuff them with, um, and put them, take out the powder and snort it and then fill the pills with saccharin. 
without his mom knowing. He would snort three to four pills at a time. What? Now, blood tests done after he still had 10 times a normal dose 12 days after the murders. Okay. So, if he was doing that, then shouldn't he have been taking a saffron too? If his mom... Saccharin? Saccharin, yeah. Saccharin. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, if he was taking the pills... If his mom was rationing out the pills to him, uh-huh. so he was snorting it in the days previous, then he would take the, the saccharin the pills. pills. Yes. But I guess at that point, when they went and looked in the box, they found these pills with saccharin in them. So he had taken, he had 12 times the amount, uh, or 10 times the amount 12 days later. Wow. So what he did is his future doses that his mom would be giving to him were right. all... Placebo, saccharin. Which also has, I mean, I don't know, like coming down, do you have like Ritalin withdrawals? I have no idea. Yeah. That's so it sounds like that he did all of it. Yes. Well, and the, and the attorney says that, um, his attorney said that Ritalin was a major factor in the crime. It pushed him into a total psychosis. He was crazy. But the DA said he believes the drugs only made it, only exacerbated the evil inside. It was already there. This drug abuse is no, no excuse. Um, now what you mentioned earlier, the defense also said that he's not really a devil worshiper. He was just rebelling against his parents because they were strict Catholics. Mm -hmm. Um, he wanted to make his parents mad. So, you know, this wearing all black and listening to screamo music and things like that, that was just an attempt to piss his parents off. Um, after, like I told you, after his arrest, he quickly became remorseful when the drugs left his system and he was stunned by what he did. People were saying, oh, he was, he was totally stunned by what he did. Um, I did watch an interview with him. He said that God spoke to him at the county jail. This is when he said he found God. He said that there's a preacher that came to see him, a Carmen Cassiopa or something like that. He was a preacher. And he said that God pushed his spirit and went to isolation. He said, the Lord spoke. If you serve me, I'll take away your shame. So he was baptized twice in county jail, like I said. Now, in prison, he's um, he is currently right now in Bullock Correctional. He was at Donaldson Correctional for some time where he took his GD. He learned Spanish. He took drafting and art classes there. Um. He's the prison that he's in now is just south of Montgomery. It's a minimum in, which means that it's appropriate for inmates who are not a significant risk to themselves or to others. He ha, um the work assignments are on property, cannot leave, so there's no furloughs. No yeah, no furlough like... for this guy. Um, and it's a closed security facility, and it's it can be supervised supervised by non security personnel. He's still in the mental health block, but he is far from crazy is what someone said. He said he was denied parole. Um, now, his siblings, mm-hmm. like I said, I believe that his siblings um, are, are kind of writing on this this online thing that I found. Right. But they ended up, after, the, after they finally were um, out of critical condition and were able to leave, they went and lived with an aunt in New York. So they moved back to Niagara, New York. Okay. And they're still, they're still young because if you think 1998, the youngest was five or six. So what would put that kid now? 24. No, no, 30. What? In his 30s. Because my daughter was born in 97. She's okay. 22, almost 23. 
So, so he would be... 30, right? Give or take. Yeah. So around 30. Um, now, Jeff, on an online interview I, wa- I, I watched, he said that three, um, two out of the three, no, three out of the four siblings forgive him for what he did. Mm-hmm. They, reg- they correspond with him regularly through writing. They also um, come visit him. Hell no. The youngest brother had the most damage. It um, it left him. Um, what do I say? Disabled? Maybe he had. A, he didn't speak for a really long time. Um, he is an artist. I actually saw some of the art he did. It has a lot of symbolism. A lot of um, murders from this symbolism. Like it has a um, upside down cross. There's like blood. There's like evil. Um, so you can see that he still has nightmares. It's coming out in his art. Maybe that's a coping mechanism that right. he has. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are all alive. Like um, they're doing quite well. So, um, and I'm not going to give their names just because no. um, I don't want to. But um, let's see. He also leads like a Bible class in prison and leads, um, leads spiritual groups. So he says, I know I'm forgiven. God has forgiven me. And, um, he does miss his mom and dad. He says they were really good parents, but, um, he said, sometimes when I think about them, I feel guilty. He says they tried. Yeah. feel guilty. Yeah. He says they, they tried to get him help. They took him to a psychiatrist, to priests, um, but nothing worked. He said that um, most likely the stress of his senior year just kind of like fractured his mind. He loved school. He loved going to Grissom High is where he went. But um, just just the stress of senior year, I guess, is what he says. He says, I now believe in Jesus. Um, now, as far as the first responders, they said that this was one of the worst that they'd ever seen in 25 years. And all of them, some of them were throwing up in the yard. I have a friend, a very close friend who is a first responder, EMS, fire, and the stuff that they see is not, you know, something that we should ever have to experience. Right. And I can't imagine. I mean, because it's day in, day out. Right. You know, sometimes they're slow and they don't, you know, because I know where we are, our fire our firefighters are they are first responders they're there before the police are there yes and they see you know they're getting shot at these days so i mean it i just can't i can't imagine um and my son he was he was deployed in afghanistan he was a corpsman navy corpsman um stationed with marines in afghanistan and he was uh you know he has seen some awful things and when he came home I couldn't understand why he didn't just go into EMT or something like that because, you know, he's trained for that. But he's like, Mom, I don't ever want to see that again. I don't want to see any any blood. I don't want to see anyone. I don't want anyone's life to depend on on me. I just can't ever do it again. So right. and, that's understandable. And and I understand that as well. You know, my husband being a combat veteran Marine, he wasn't a medic, but he was infantry. So. We have constant, and our good friend who was the fireman, who said, "Well, why doesn't he just, you know, why doesn't he come out and do the fire training?" And I think that it's he doesn't want to see that yeah, again. Right? He yeah. saw it in Iraq, and two thousand three Iraq, and he doesn't want to see it again. So there, you know, they had to un- undergo extensive counseling and PTS training and all of that. But 
So while he's in prison, since then, he's got a very positive attitude. He was denied parole in 2013, but he's up for parole again in September 2021. So as of today, the day that we're recording, he has served 18 years, 6 months, and 19 days. Um, Like I said, a few of his siblings have forgiven him, but, you know, one of them has not. He has been diagnosed with schizophrenia. And lastly, the family understands why people are fascinated with this. They understand fascination with this murder. And I kind of think that maybe they're, they might be into true crime too, just based on some things that I've seen when I did my research. They, um, they don't think he'll ever be granted parole because his letters to the judge are bizarre and they believe that he's getting the best treatment where he is. He's, he's in, he's getting the best treatment for his mental state where he is in prison. So, you know, hopefully he won't get out. Anyway, guys, uh, that's my murder for today. So thanks for listening. I hope, (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this week's murder. We really appreciate our passion with you. We thank you for your support. If you'd like to support us even further monetarily, please, please donate to us on Patreon. You can also just subscribe to our podcast if you can't afford it. Give us a five-star rating. That's good, too. While you're there, leave us a comment about absolutely anything. Your subscription and ratings are essential to our success and they help push us up the charts. You can do this on your favorite platform. And for more information, links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. Thank you, Mercedes. We are so grateful to spend our time together and share our murderous stories. Thank you again so much for listening to us and supporting us. We would like to thank our Patreon supporters as well. They are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved patrons by supporting us at patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. Subscribe to our podcast and listen to us and give us a five-star rating. And thank you again. And remember, it it wasn't wasn't me. me.